we got fired from one of the oldest fish restaurants in Copenhagen back in 2002 because the, the new owner of the restaurant thought we made gay food. We loved the fact that we did that because our food is uh, is feminine and light and delightful. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. Today on the podcast, we're revisiting a conversation I had with Soren Ledet in last week's episode exploring the world of coffee and fine dining. Soren is co-founder and general manager of world-renowned restaurant Geranium, a three-mission-star dining experience in Copenhagen, Denmark, which he created with his business partner and head chef Rasmus Koford in 2007. A frequently lauded and admired business, Gerani was last year named the best restaurant in the world by the 50 Best Awards. In our conversation, Soren offered so many fascinating insights and learnings from his vast experience in running a standout hospitality business that we felt compelled to release the entire conversation in full. Welcome, Soren. Thank you, thank you, and pleasure to be here. When you started it, what was the vision? Of geranium. Rasmus and I have been working together in many various restaurants for almost 30 years. And uh, we, in all f- honesty and fairness, we got fired from a big hotel chain because we didn't want to do cafe food in the restaurant. We had ambitions with the restaurant and wanted to do a great restaurant. So we got laid off there. It's a famous hotel in Copenhagen called Dangleter. But that was, a, that was a fun story. And we got fired from one of the oldest fish restaurants in Copenhagen back in 2002 because the new owner of the restaurant thought we made gay food. We loved the fact that we did that because our food is uh, is feminine and light and delightful and yep. whatnot. And uh, yeah, so it was a different time back then. Um, I don't think that, that would have been a, a viable reason to, to fire somebody today. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, um, it all led to us at the... It, sitting in 2006 going, wow, we got to open our own restaurant where we can set the premises ourselves and, uh, and just evolve slowly with healthy intentions and making a healthy business model and just grow from there. So that was the whole idea of the restaurant. And, you know, we always wanted to use organic, biodynamic um, or uh, produce made that way with respect for the people behind the produce and yeah so that's how geranium started it was never meant to we never sat down and said well we have to have michelin stars we have to be on the world's 50 best list and all of that 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 just that just came um along as we as we you know we progressed and evolved have you always been in the same location? No, we were in the, the first two and a half years of Geranium. We were in an old tea pavilion in the King's Garden in Copenhagen, but it was a national heritage site. And basically we couldn't put a nail in the wall. So very mm. fast, we got kind of limited in terms of evolving and changing and 
So we were offered to move the restaurant to a football stadium in Copenhagen. First, we turned it down because we don't want to be associated with hot dogs and, you know, mm. bad beer and, you know, whatnot. But then we went out, we saw the location, and uh, we we're on the eighth floor overlooking Copenhagen, which is not a tall city, you know, it's like most houses are maximum five stories tall. So when you're on the eighth floor, you're basically above everything else. So it was a great view. And we had a lot of square meters that we could really change as it see fit. So in that way, we, th we saw a lot of potential of evolving and chasing, changing the restaurant over the years. And we've been here now for 12 and a half years. So topic of the day here is coffee. How important is coffee to the menu at Geranium? Coffee is an important part of our menu. And it's something we've always taken serious. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of restaurants around the world don't take coffee serious enough. You know, they just, they focus on the food, they focus on the wine. And then when it comes to coffee, they just have some poor machine brewing coffee for them. They're not paying attention to details or just buying bad beans off of some commercial brand. Um, coffee for us was always about making sure that the coffee was a, was an integral part of the menu in the sense that, you know, food is quite light and acidic and fresh. And uh, once you get to the coffee, yes, it will be served with some chocolates, but there'll be freshness, fruitiness, acidity there. So it's important to us that coffee and, and tea for that matter, um, was was a part of that, and it wasn't like overshadowing the menu or destroying your palate in that sense. So coffee has always been a very big part of what we do. And when you're selecting a coffee supplier, what are the considerations? When we first started Geranium, we worked with uh, an organic roastery that 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 imported coffee from you know, South America and Africa and, and roasted it and it was all good. But at some point we were approached by, by the coffee collective in Copenhagen. They approached me and said, this is how we run the business. You know, we contact the, the best uh, collectives around the world that, that, that grow beans. Um, we purchase the beans from them at a higher price than anybody else making sure that we can select the best beans and at the same time improving um, their way of living, ensuring that the future of them being able to supply beans at a good quality to the coffee collective was there. So establishing a healthy, sustainable relationship with these uh, farmers. And I was, I was so much into that idea and I, I love these guys who have the coffee collective. So I said, well, Let's do this. Let's, let's make a long-term commitment to, to helping each other out. And so we looked at what different options there were from South, uh, South America, uh, Africa, and we kind of settled on some Kenyan beans. Um, and we made a, a, a special roast that was yep. light, but not too light. One of the coffees that we make for our guests is a pour-over coffee. And pour-over coffees has been known to be light, acidic, mm. fruity. Um, and I didn't want 
the coffee to be too light and I didn't want it to be too dark either. It was about finding the right yeah. balance. So we made a special roast with them and, uh, and have uh, basically been using that for almost 10 years now. Yeah, we, we actually have had uh, Klaus, Klaus Thompson on this podcast, actually. An incredible philosophy of getting things right and the ethos. What I love about Klaus and why him and I have always gotten along really well is, uh, you know, he has a, a, such an attention to details. And uh, that's always been one, one thing that we've talked a lot about with our staff here. Geranium is like, if you want to have success at, at whatever you do, it's paying attention to every little detail. You can't miss anything. And that's what I've always found yeah. with Klaus is that's so that's why we have the relationship with them that we have. And as far as your menu offering, are you serving espressos? Are you serving flat whites or and all that kind of beverages as well? Well, you know, we don't serve flat whites and uh, we don't make cappuccinos and whatnot. We do make an espresso. And, uh, and yeah. the way we, we make it, we use the Flare 58. So the Flare 58 is a, is a hand-brewed machine that we can, so we can brew the coffee in front of our guests. And uh, okay. I, I know that, that a lot of baristas will go, oh my God, how can you do that? And it's, yeah. it's all to do with my own feeling about coffee, you know. Um, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I'll do is uh, I'll, I'll get my kids some food. That's the first thing. Next thing I'll do, I'll, I'll brew a cup of coffee. And uh, one thing I love about coffee is smelling the coffee while I'm brewing it. Like, you know, just the, the yeah. smell in the kitchen while I'm brewing the coffee yeah. is so amazing. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of, of brewing coffee. Um, yeah. Just, you know, you're, you're, you're waiting for it to be done and you're smelling it so your expectations are higher that way. And I feel it should be the same in the restaurant. So we brew the coffee all the time in front of the guests, whether it's a pour over yeah. or it's the espresso. And Mattia, who is, uh, who is uh, one of my restaurant managers, um, he's Italian. So he's been, he's, he was a big advocate for, for making the coffee, the espresso in front of the guests. He, because before he arrived, we didn't have the espresso. It was just pour over, but when he came, so said, oh, Soren, we have to have a, an espresso, you know, I'm Italian and there's so many Italian guests. But I said, well, we've we, mm -hmm. we got to find the right platform. So first we started out using The Rock, which is also ROK, yep, which yep. is a London-based company, I think. Um, yep. Also making like a hand-pressed espresso. But we recently, about half a year ago, switched to Flare 58. And then there's obviously that sense of theatre and the, the customers being engaged in the coffee-making process, uh, you know, in front of their eyes. There's a few things behind the philosophy of that. Um, first and foremost, yes, they get to see the coffee get brewed. They get to smell the coffee while it's being made and all that. Um, it's mm -hmm. also a chance for the person brewing the coffee to, to have a conversation with the guest and talk to them about the coffee and have spend more time with it other than just uh, somebody going down, serving a cup of coffee and say, here's your coffee. You know, you can actually yeah. talk to them about the origins of the beans and, you know, all of the love that goes into just, you know, before it's even roasted, you know. So there's a lot of uh, conversation that goes into that. 
uh, that I love. And then it's, then it's, it's an old thing, you know. It's like if you go to a restaurant and have a crepe sucette, which is basically just yeah. flambé pancakes with vanilla ice cream. It's nothing yeah. particularly amazing if you just have it served, but because it's flambé right in front of you and, you know, yeah. you're in love with those pancakes even before you yeah. put them in your mouth. So same goes with yeah. the coffee. And so no milk on your coffee menu whatsoever? Well, we do, we do serve some milk on the side. But for most, most people, I mean, the way that the coffee collective and uh, we have decided to roast the beans, the coffee is, is, I mean, we always, if somebody says, oh, can I, you know, I, I'd like some milk in my coffee. I said, well, we're going to serve you some milk on the side, but please do taste the coffee before you pour the milk in because it's not yeah, like yeah. your average filter coffee from a machine or you know, an espresso mm. longo or something that where, where you almost need milk just to balance out. Yeah. And no capsule machines. Actually, we do have a capsule machine for the staff, but only mm-hmm. because okay. we had some Italians who said, yeah. oh, can we have an espresso machine? They said, okay, well, we got, <laughs> well first and foremost, we got okay. to we, we find uh, some, uh, yeah. an espresso machine that's easy to, for people to use and you don't yeah. need to be a barista, barista and whatnot. So I, I actually, I got a, got a good deal with uh, the wonderful folks from Nespresso. They brought us a machine that we can use for the staff and then supplied us with Excellent. some organic that they're now doing, which they haven't done actually until about a year ago. Yeah, got to look up those Italians. <laughs> they certainly like their espressos. So those who are making the coffee, what sort of training would they be required to undertake before being able to serve coffee in your restaurant? We have the coffee collective come out and visit us mm-hmm. four or yep. five times a year with, with a couple of different agendas. First of all, they come to adjust our grinder. Um, yeah. They check the quality of our coffee. Uh, brewed yeah. to see if we need to adjust the the grinding size and whatnot, um, and then they will do a coffee training with all the staff. Having that said, of course we we do from time to time have new employees coming in in between, and then Mattia will spend time with them, teaching them how to grind the coffee how to make the coffee, all of the recipes that we have for the pour over and the espresso. And they, they need to do a ton of coffees before we allow them to, to go and make the coffee in front of the guests, as well as study, study where the coffee is from, who's behind it. And, you know, it, it's important for us that the same training applies to the coffee as it would for the Psalms serving wine. Just speaking quite philosophically about the role of coffee in a fine dining experience, is, would you say that most people are likely to enjoy a, a coffee after their meals? Is it a fundamental part of the fine dining experience? It's a very fundamental part. I would say that 90% of our guests will have a coffee. Wow, that's very high. It is. Um, it's, even though we have so many international guests... Uh, it just seems like everybody wants a cup of coffee. And uh, the last 10% will either have nothing or have tea. 
herbal and herbal yeah. infusion or so. But yeah, we have a high percentage of people drinking coffee. But it also, I mean, with, when the first table are done and they have the coffee and, uh, and uh, it's being made in front of them and all of the rest of the guests can see that coffee being made right in front of them, that's, uh, that's, um, it's a motivation for all the other tables, I guess, to pick a yeah. cup of coffee, you know. That's really interesting. That show that you put on with the coffee um, encourages everyone else to want that. Oh, it does. And especially if the first table is having yeah. an espresso with a, with a Flair yeah. 58, well, that's going to be the, the hit of the night, basically. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a relatively small dining room. So, I mean, yeah. when, when you start brewing coffee in here, it, it, you can smell it in, in the whole restaurant. So, Have you ever incorporated any kind of food pairing experience or, or any kind of use of coffee as an ingredient? Um, Julia, who is uh, my, uh, one of my Italian managers, um, has used coffee in the juice pairing. What's interesting about uh, using coffee and tea in juice pairings is that it's, it's, a, it's a great base for working on. So she have at some point made various different cocktails adding coffee to okay. them, which can taste really nice. But if you try and make a juice where you, where you use either plums or some of those like autumn things in Denmark and add a little bit of coffee as the base, you can actually create something that is, can, can be very reminiscent of kind of like a chocolatey flavor. So yeah, we have worked with, with coffee in that sense and it's, it's amazing in that way, especially when we're doing the the lighter pour over thing mm. it works really well how many covers do you seat on a, on a sitting we seat 36 guests in the restaurant and then we have our inspiration kitchen which is uh, a, a, a like a more like private function room where you can be seven guests up to 12 14 guests we we kind of say like a maximum of around 50 50 is all yeah so not really turning tables as a guest. No, 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 no. Because an experience here takes a minimum of three and a half hours. So yeah, yeah. especially in the evening, we do lunch on Friday and Saturday and lunch can somewhat be quicker. But when people are here, they usually tend to just relax and and then take things take take time. So so, yeah, an experience here is, I'd say, between three and a half uh, all the way up to five hours. And size of your team? I think we're about 48 now. Um, team of 26 in, uh, in, the, in the kitchen. We're about 18 in front of house. And the rest is uh, booking and accounting. It's an extraordinary amount of um, people required to deliver that, that experience. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's a lot of people, but when you take it in account that it's, it's a lot of servings, then there's a lot of details and, that needs to be, be just, just right. So, so there's always uh, people not being part of service that are working on either perfecting dishes or juices or working on the wine pairings or adjusting the coffee service and the tea service. And also we're, we're trying to keep the hours 
four hour employees at a, at a bare minimum. So everybody's working just three days a week. So, so yeah. Wow, wow. So, and that requires a lot of staff to be able to, to have people only work three days a week. And of course, that requires a, a lot of um, multi-skilled people, of course. We have a lot of managers, where we have, whether it be in the kitchen or the front of house or in the SOM team. But it's important to us for, for them as well as us in terms of people taking responsibility um, and being a, being a part of, uh, of pushing geranium uh, to become better all the time. Because, I mean, even though we were just voted the, the best restaurant in the world, doesn't mean that we're perfect. You know, we can always become a better version of ourselves. And that needs a ton of amazing talented people to to help us push geranium in the right direction so what's the secret to getting that level of excellence day in day out as as a sort of an owner entrepreneur well i think it's uh, it's about creating the right environment you know when i grew up as a chef because i was i was trained chef before front of house and some and all of that um, when I was uh, growing up uh, as, a, as a young chef, I worked in London and, you know, it was all about screaming, shouting. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't pleasant working in kitchens back then. Um, and Trust me, I've been to France and done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And for, for an odd reason, the people who owned those restaurants couldn't understand why the people didn't want to be there for very long. You know, because mm. that's, that's how the business is. It's not how the business is. You can, you can make a business creating an amazing um, place where people actually want to go to work. And if people want to go to work and they'll bring their passion. And uh, if you let them, if you give them responsibility to, to evolve that passion into something that works for Geranium, well, you can do great things. Yeah. Well, and hence the three-day work week that must be super appealing i mean that's that's one thing you know for people just working three three days a week uh gives them time to be rested but also do other stuff than geranium you know and i've, I've learned mm. that as, as the, the older i get the more I, I find out that i need my time you know i, I divide mm. my time in three one is geranium one is my family and one is me and uh, and I, if if yeah. I need it, then I guess the people that work for me also need their own time to be, yeah. you know, focused at work. And as someone who's created, a, you know, absolutely a sublime experience and best restaurant in the world, are there any learnings out there for hospitality professionals of what you might have done differently with geranium? Anything that you would have um, wished you learned earlier? I would have wished that I had learned earlier that I had a voice. I think a lot of people who start out in hospitality, um, they, they get afraid to speak up. And, uh, yeah. and uh, if you don't speak up, nobody will ever know that you have an opinion. But when you start out in mm-hmm. hospitality and you know you start at a very good restaurant, you know, famous chefs and you, there's a hierarchy and whatnot, you're afraid to say, you just say, well, yes, chef and whatnot. Um, and that, that doesn't bring anything good. You know, I, I wish that I had learned that I could speak up, that I could, 
that I could speak my mind and and be allowed to do so. And I think a lot of restaurateurs are missing that point. Like, listen to what the people that works for you are saying. You might actually learn something every day if you if you listen hard enough. And have you had any any visions for geranium moving forward, other than that incremental get better every day? Anything you guys would like to achieve? I want us to learn to move along with how the world is moving. You know, we recently, about a year ago, we we stopped serving meat at geranium, and it was a, it was a great decision for us. Um, not just because of the of, of of health aspects. I mean, that's something you can discuss forever. But um, I think that, you know, Denmark is surrounded by water and uh, has the most coastline of any country in Northern Europe, but we eat the least fish, shellfish and seafood out of any country. So yeah. I, think, I think geranium to move in, in a direction where we, where we become one with, you know, nature and, and history that is surrounding Denmark is, is what we're striving and trying to accomplish, you know. And if, if that will so, one day will take us to being a vegetarian restaurant, you never know. But if that's the, the trend that moves in that direction, I would happily move that way. Mm. But, you know, you've got to follow your heart, you've got to follow life, and you, you definitely have to respect nature, so... And if we were sending someone to Geranium today to have a meal, give us a flavour of some of the dishes that they could explore. You would get a very traditional little tartlet with, uh, with pickled herrings and, and dill. You would get roasted monkfish with uh, pickled pine. Again, some flavours that are integral to, to Scandinavia. Um, you'd, get, uh, some, you'd get some vegetarian dishes as well which is on the menu, um, red beets and horseradish, which is, uh, is one of my favorite. And as well, we do, we do a dish where we collaborate with a couple of farms and they, so it, it changes all the time, the different types of vegetables that are there, but with a, with a sauce made from a Danish uh, cheese called uh, the West Coast cheese, which is a kind of a salty cheese, but the sauce is amazing and the di- dish is just die for. One of our desserts, which is, a favorite of mine is uh, is a sea bark thorn dessert with uh, with carrot, which it's yeah just a beautiful not ending to the meal because there are desserts after that. But yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds incredibly delicious, and of course, all washed down with an amazing coffee. Soren, thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. If you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter, collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. Link in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Brister. And this week's song in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project is Replay by British artist Natalie Shea. 
And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. So hard.